Welcome to episode 22 of Focus on the Bible. Today's episode is about the phrase, ye shall know them by their fruits. Here to discuss it is Dr. Freddie Coyle. Does the Bible encourage us to judge people to see if they're saved or not by looking at what they do? We've all often heard people say, by their fruit you'll know them. It sounds pretty convincing. Let's talk about this. Couldn't it get pretty messy in a hurry if we all started judging one another and calling each other out as fake believers because we saw someone sin? Could you imagine the fellowship dinner at the church when everyone thought they had the right to call out who's saved and who's lost based on their skills of observation? Isn't there enough misunderstanding, gossip, and competitive legalism already among us? Without someone self-anointing a title to themselves called the judge of who is saved or not. Based on this almost universal popular belief that we supposedly can judge who is saved or not by what they do, wouldn't David be in hell? I mean, he's busted in history. He's called out. He's an adulterer with the neighbor next door. He lied about it. He tried to cover his sin. He even planned and carried out the scheme to murder the rightful husband of that woman. If it's true that we can judge one another's salvation by whether we see sin or not, David goes to hell. And how about Abraham? For the right person who had the right angle to be there in the right moment when Abram called out that Sarah wasn't really his wife, she was just his sister, and left her at the mercies of the men in that town. Abraham did that twice, in fact. One is an unsaved man, once after he was saved. Twenty years later, his own son did the same sin in the same town of his father. Did Jesus teach us that we can call out that people are not saved because of the fruit of their lives? How about Samson? If that principle is true, that we can judge a person to be unsaved because they bear rotten fruit, Samson is toast. We better take a close look at what the Bible actually says. But listen carefully. To be clear... If Jesus told us to judge each other's salvation based on what we think about one another's actions, this is exactly what we should do. Regardless of what that might do at the local church or at the fellowship dinner, despite the fact that might make one pretty unpopular in a hurry, if Jesus taught us to judge one another's fruit, and call out who's saved or not, that is exactly what we should practice all the time. But that's not what Jesus taught. It's not even close. The verse that people clumsily and usually partially quote that gives us this idea is Matthew seven sixteen. It says this, "'Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns?' Or figs of thistles? He added more on the subject in the following verses. 
He said, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Matthew 7, 17 through 19. In this Bible study about what Jesus taught his disciples about judging people by fruit, it's critically important that we stick to the context. In fact, anytime we study the Bible, we need to be very concerned about context. In real estate, they say, location, location, location. Well, in the same way, in Bible study, we say context, context, context. The context of a verse is the setting of the verse. The context is set by facts, known facts. It's not squishy, it's definite. We ask questions like this to set the context of a verse. Who is the speaker? To whom does he speak? Are they saved? Are they lost? What's the situation being discussed? What is the speaker trying to accomplish? What's the timing in history? What do the speaker's words, the actual words, mean in the moment they were spoken by the speaker? These are important questions that we ask when we slow it down. We do our slow Bible study. And we make certain that we now have the setting of the proper context of the teaching. If we get sloppy and allow the context of a scripture to be removed, then the Bible can be made to say almost anything one wants it to say. The false teachers live by this. Ripping verses out of context to put forth some idea that no one has ever heard of before who carefully study the Bible, but not all do. Without the safety rails of context, people end up believing all kinds of false ideas that the Bible authors never taught or intended. What did Jesus really mean when he said, you shall know them by their fruits? Well, the key question in Matthew 7 is to nail down who the word them identifies. When Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. Is them referring to professing believers who might be phonies? Who maybe need to be shown as fakes when we identify sin that they do? Or could it be someone else? Well, the context usually shows. In this particular context, if we expand our reading by just one little verse, the answer is easily found. Who is them? In Matthew 7, 15, Jesus started his conversation with these words. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Who is them? False prophets. 
them does not refer at all to professing believers. In the context, Jesus is warning his disciples that there are false prophets in the world and that they can be identified by their fruit. Beware of false prophets. That's the teaching. That's the subject of this conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. But those false prophets might be hard to identify because they don't come as false prophets. They are not introduced as false prophets. They come, Jesus says, in sheep's clothing. They're phonies, they're fakes, they're charlatans. They may look on the outside like sheep, but inwardly, Jesus said, they're ravening wolves. They're not so easily identified because they're wearing camouflage. They come in sheep's clothing and they hide their wolf teeth. But there's a way to identify them. Context, context, context. Well, if we have a warning here from Jesus about how to identify a false teacher, how then can they be identified? Well, what's the fruit of a teacher? It's what they teach. So we need to look a wolf in the mouth to identify him as a wolf. Watch that mouth. When it opens, trace those words. Judge him by the fruit of his teaching. And the teaching is about the words he speaks in his message. Follow those words. Do those words go back to the scripture? Are those words carefully taken inside their context? And we have the meaning explained to those words in the historical, geographical, grammatical context that the speaker intended. We know what Jesus intended. He intended to warn the disciples that the false prophets that were coming among them could be identified, and he showed them how. But because of sloppy Bible study, all of a sudden we have turned around this partially quoted piece of Scripture, the very Word of God, ripped it out of its context until there was blood everywhere, and we have a lot of Bible-toting people who are all thinking the wrong thing about the red words of Jesus Christ. This is so wrong. It's so sickening to find so many people believe the wrong thing, and while they're trying to identify who is saved or not, and whether they sin or not, the false prophets go and do as they wish to do. Because so few people seem to have learned that Bible study can only be done well when we remember the context, context, context. Did you know the Bible says there is no God? Without context, maybe we could convince someone of that falsity. But given in its context, we would go to Psalm 14.1 where the Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. There are so many things that are so misunderstood because of sloppy Bible study and preaching that was from a heart of emotionalism and not proper Bible study. By the way, 
When we find a, a professing believer doing sin, what's our proper response according to the Bible? Well, if the roles were reversed and you were the professing believer caught in a sin, what would you like a brother to do in your case? The Bible is very clear. We don't take sin lightly in this family of God. It needs to be called. It needs to be identified. Galatians chapter 6, in verse number 1, Paul the Apostle wrote, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so Paul truthfully identifies the fact that all believers still sin. And sometimes a grievous sin can overtake a brother to the degree he no longer could be thought of as a spiritual person, but a carnal one. And a caring brother will take him aside and with great humility and meekness instruct him about his sin and call him to an accountability, all from a heart of love, compassion, and mercy. And the confronting brother also considers himself that he himself is not above sin. You see, we have ways of dealing with sin in our family. But we don't judge one another's salvation because someone's not living as we wish they did. Friend, today you could know that you have eternal life by trusting in Jesus Christ. You'll never have that confidence by self-judging. You'll never have the confidence that you are saved if you look for a place in life that you could know you're 100% free of your sin. You could only know that you're free of your sin when your sin is paid and removed by a Savior. We have such a one, Jesus Christ, sinless God in the flesh, went to Calvary's cross to pay your sin. He did a job for you on that day. And now if you rest your faith in the risen Savior, it'll be everlasting life for you by faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. It's always important when focusing on the Bible to make sure that we're seeking out the meaning that is in the text, rather than attempting to read what we already believe into it as a sort of confirmation bias. Well, that's all for today. We hope this episode's been beneficial to you. If so, feel free to reach out to us by writing to Focus Evangelistic Ministries, P.O. Box 498 Danielsville, Georgia, 30633. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you again next time when we focus on the Bible.